Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Yoga. The show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And moving on from one month to another, Japanuary is over and we're now in February. And as any of our regular listeners will know, February is split into two for us. With the first half being Valentine's specials and the second half being a celebration of women filmmakers in horror. Yes. Um, a little bit of romance to start the month. Yeah. Some, Ooh, some like extreme that. romance here. Very extreme, yeah. Well, would you call it romance? Yeah, some romantic ending. Well, yeah, I suppose so, but uh, not all the elements are so romantic. We're, of course, talking about the erotic thriller classic Crimes of Passion from 1984. Yeah, Crimes of Passion... Not sure about the title, if it necessarily makes sense. Oh, of course it does. There's passion, but where's the crimes? Where's the crimes? I don't know, maybe Anthony Perkins going around murdering people. <laughs> I, I understand that, but crimes of passion. I suppose, I suppose it, passionate doesn't, about something. it doesn't have to relate to the central love story. So yeah, no. that's true. Uh, directed by genre icon Ken Russell. Yeah, legendary Ken Russell. Yeah, director of the, of Tommy, The Devils, Altered States, Whore, The Boyfriend, Tales of Erotica, The Lair of the White Worm, Gothic, uh, Star of Celebrity Big Brother, etc, etc. Yeah, very strange. British director, um, Oscar nominated for Best Director in 1971 for Women in Love. Kind of put his... Dipped his toe in a lot of genres, yeah. horror, musicals, you know, period drama, um, directed the music video for Elton John's Nikita. Mm-hmm. So, it, and as you said, you know, star of Celebrity Big Brother, series five, very, a, a strange kind of eclectic filmography. Yeah. There. Um, and, I mean... He's he's got the chops to do it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love every film of his I've seen. I haven't mm-hmm. seen all of them, but every one I've seen so far has been a classic. Yeah, written by Barry Sandler, who wrote The Mirror Cracked, which is not a classic. Knock 'em Dead, <laughs> All American Murder, Making Love, Evil Never Dies, Police Trap, and more. Yeah, he also did Evil Under the Sun, which was another Agatha Christie adaptation, along with The Mirror Cracked. Um, I like The Mirror Cracked. I like the dialogue. Um, and Barry Sandler was an openly gay writer. But then why did he confine Angela Lansbury to her fucking little bungalow for that entire film? That was Agatha Christie's fault. What he gave us was Kim Novak and Elizabeth Taylor reading each other to film. Yes. Um, yeah. In terms of writer and director, um, Sandler had meetings with John Frankenheimer, Bob Raffleson, and John Carpenter to direct the film. I he can also, see that. He also had Cher in mind for the uh, main role, for the I Kathleen can also, Turner role. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense as well. I mean, whether she'd have gone as extreme as, uh, as Kathleen Turner went is a different story, but... Yeah, yeah, I don't. He probably, she probably wouldn't have. Um, Barry Sandler, like I said, an openly gay man, and I think that really shows. It does in in it the does. film, and we'll we'll get onto that as we go through it. Um, he attended UCLA Film School, and while studying there, received his first big break by showing up at Raquel Welsh's doorstep with a script he had written for her. 
She actually lived the script and the film became Kansas City Bomber. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, that's a camp star. It is. It is. I mean, definitely a gay. Yeah, and Making Love was a, a big sort of taboo gay romantic drama uh, in the 80s, I think, mm-hmm. starring um, Harry Hamlin, although we don't talk about the husband. Wow. I mean, that would uh, go with some of the rumours, wouldn't it? Well, okay. <laughs> Called acting. <laughs> uh, this was made on a budget of three million dollars, and it only made two point nine million at the box office. And I honestly cannot believe a film like this was released theatrically in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, it was given an X rating. Uh, Russell had to recut it and resubmit it with hopes of getting an R, but it was unsuccessful. New World refused to release it unless it was rated R, so Russell had to cut it a third time. Yes. Um, I'm surprised this got a theatrical release. I'm surprised it made any money. Yeah. Just because of what the film is. Mm -hmm. And it's so out there and so weird, but also like highly provocative as well. And that's what Ken Russell did the best. Really, all of his films are wacky. Mm -hmm. The ones I've seen, very wacky, um, which I love. But not everybody gets it. No. Well, when did you first watch this? Oh, um, I re- randomly recorded it many years ago from Film Four, the channel Film Four. That would have made sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, w- I watched it then on VHS. I recorded it off the TV. So you're going back a, a long time. I'm not sure why I did it. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't remember being a huge Kathleen Turner fan at the time. It, it was the first Ken Russell film I'd watched. I don't know why. Maybe maybe it just sort of taped over something I was why watching not? previously. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, all for the good. I have Arrow Video and my friend Niall to thank for introducing me to this film. We watched it about oof, eight years ago now probably before a night out just randomly just watched this and it just absolutely blew my mind i could not believe how fucking good it was i i had not well i'd only heard of ken russell because of big brother yeah prior prior to uh this which is terrible oh wow really but um but yeah but then it piqued my interest because i i had never at the time when i watched it i'd never seen anything like this no um, I mean, the closest you can get with style, what I'd seen at that time, was Suspiria, because the lighting in this film is absolutely given Suspiria. Yeah, massively. The cinematography. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was. I was just absolutely uh, in love with this film. So fucking good. Uh, and we will tell you why. After we discuss who's in it. In a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. So Kathleen Turner, the icon herself. Who? She plays Joanna Crane slash China Blue, and she is the star of Serial Mum, The Virgin Suicides, Romance in the Stone, Body Heat, Peggy Sue Got Married, Monster House, Marley and Me, and many more. And she was also hesitant about Ken Russell's suggestion as she smears yogurt over her lips to simulate semen. As she would be. She complied, uh, but drew the line at gulping down an oyster to emulate swallowing ejaculation. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this is really early on in Kathleen Turner's career. Yeah. Um, she'd made her theatrical debut 
in Body Heat mm -hmm. in 81, so just three years previous. And she played the femme fatale role. It was a very sexual role. And then she did Romancing the Stone. And that was kind of a family-friendly romantic comedy throwback to, you know, the adventure films. Um, so she kind of didn't want her career to go too much into the family-friendly, mm -hmm. chirpy, romantic lead, you know, because she'd gotten, she'd done so well in Body Heat. And if you haven't seen Body Heat, which Gary hasn't, I, I highly recommend. She's fan, considering it's a debut performance, she's absolutely fantastic in it. Um, so this is why she chose this role mm -hmm. because she didn't want to sort of be typecast. And yeah, bloody hell, you know, if, you, if you're gonna do that, this is the role to do uh -huh. it with. And yeah, and she is absolutely just incredible here. I mean, high camp, but serious as well. You know, she has emotional moments. She just she gives absolutely everything in this role. Um, and so does Anthony Perkins, who plays Reverend Peter Shane. Yes. Start of, of course, Psycho 1 to 4, The Black Hole in the Deep Woods, On the Beach, Murder on the Orient Express, The Ghost Writer, Edge of Sanity, and more. Uh, according to Kathleen Turner, Anthony Perkins, much like his uh, character in the film itself, would sniff a form of nitro before each take. Yeah, poppers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's also... Come on, Method. <laughs> he was also ordained as a priest as part of his research for the role. Very method. And uh, in the original screenplay, his character was a shoe salesman. But at the suggestion of Anthony Perkins, Barry Sandler changed the role to a minister to better satirise uh, American sexual mores. Yeah, yeah, which totally makes sense mm -hmm. to the film. Um, I, what I think is, is a shame is that any time Anthony Perkins would star in a horror or a thriller... The emphasis is always on him and his ties to Psycho. Yeah. So it's always like, well, he's just playing a version of Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Yeah. He's just this, that, and the other. Um, I, I watched a review, Siskel and Eber, um, incredibly, just slightly off topic, released the same day as Body Double. Oh. Like, that's a good day wow. in film history. Um, Siskel and Ebert, they, they seemed intent on making the comparison with Norman Bates mm -hmm. and Siskel in particular hated the idea of him being in the film. Yeah. He, he sort of, he was like, well, he gave it, they both gave it a thumbs down. Of course it is. The, of course it is. Um, but he seemed really put out by this character mm -hmm. in the film. Um, yeah, I think it's a real shame. Anthony Perkins... He was like a romantic lead before Psycho. Mm. And who knew he was capable of... Like, this? I mean, yeah. he really goes for it. He, yeah, he There's a subtlety to Norman Bates. Yeah. Really. Everyone thinks Norman Bates is crazy from the offset. Mm -hmm. But it, it, that's not true. Um, whereas, you know, the Reverend in um, Body Heat, in uh, Crimes of Passion, I mean, he's, he's a 100 yeah. from the get-go. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think Anthony Perkins is such an underrated actor. I think he doesn't get enough credit for what he does. I mean, obviously I've only seen him in this and Psycho, but, you know, in both, he's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we've got a few of his films. Uh, is it Pre-Poison? Mm. Winter Kills? Mahogany? We need to yeah. see Mahogany. He's in that. Yeah. John Laughlin. His uh, Bobby Grady. 
Yes. And he is a star of The Hills of Ice Part 2, The Star Wars Holiday Special, The Rock, Footloose, The Lawnmower Man, Gacy, Criminal Minds, Motorama, and more. Uh, yeah, an officer and a gentleman. He did only play a stormtrooper in the Star Wars he did. Holiday Special, he did. unfortunately. Uh, Alec Baldwin and Patrick Swayze were both uh, auditioned for the role of Bobby Grady. That um, makes sense. Which went to John Laughlin. And uh, Jeff Bridges is also considered. That also makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. But I, I think the budget was too small. Because, like, we, we say Kathleen Turner. I mean, in 1984, or, or before, this would be, I, I'm assuming filmed because 1984 was romancing the stone it, this would have been filmed before romancing the stone so kathleen turner wasn't a huge name no i'm, I'm assuming she wasn't getting a list pay mm-hmm. from this film no uh annie potts plays his uh, wife amy grady and she's of course known for the toy story franchise where she's bo peep yeah ghostbusters franchise gray's anatomy pretty in pink designing women Ugly Betty, Young Sheldon, All at Once, and more. Yeah, Ghostbusters the same year. So, mm. you know, she's got one of those voices that it's... I was surprised that she was in the film. Yeah. Because of how I'd known her as Bo Peep yeah. and in Pretty in Pink and such. But it, she isn't, you know, she's not partaking in any of the crimes of she's passion. Not, so it no. works really well. And I actually think her performance is fantastic. It is. And very briefly, Bruce Davison's in this as Donnie Hopper, who is in previous podcast film, Titanic 2, Ooh. X-Men and X-Men 2, The Lords of Salem, Insidious The Last Key, 1923, Criminal Minds, Seinfeld, Murder, She Wrote, Fishes and Loaves, Heaven Sent, and more. Yeah, The Crucible, Shortcuts, uh, La La Land, did you say that? Uncredited. La La Land, oh, yeah. Uncredited. Yeah. yeah, I don't think, I think he's more famous now than he was back then. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not a huge role, really, and just isn't one scene, isn't he? Oh, two. Mm, is it two scenes? One scene, I think. Oh, does he come back later on for the barbecue? Yeah, oh, he's okay. at the barbecue, but he's also the friend that goes with him to the therapy. Yeah. Or, or takes him to the therapy uh-huh. session. Wow. We have a lot to say about this film, so it's probably time we get into our feature presentation. A woman who lives in two worlds. A man who must lose himself to possess her. They are strangers. They are lovers. the stone Kathleen Turner Anthony Perkins creating an unforgettable role of menacing power and introducing John Laughlin never before have two adults consented to so much crimes of passion the most talked about movie of the year we get opening credits with the score which is fantastic by the way so good and uh, some dialogue where there's a conversation going on where someone says, Adam and Eve just had sex, right? And God says to Adam, where's Eve? So Adam says, she's down at the stream washing off. God says, damn, now I'll never get that smell out of those fish. 
And then a woman says, you really think that's funny, don't you? I bet every man here thinks that's funny. And he says, ease up, huh? All of you women. Christ. Getting to be a real pain in the ass, you know that? I don't know what's wrong with the way it used to be when you just did what you were told. I <laughs> she says, fuck you, Hopper. And he says, I do every night. Me and my jar of Vaseline. I can fuck any woman I want and I don't have to make them come. She says, really? I'd rather get fucked by a vibrator than your cock any day. I'm on it's honest, love it, and I don't have to make breakfast for it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um The fact that this is actually strong, a, a group it? therapy session as this well. This is a group therapy. <laughs> it's not really defined what this group <laughs> therapy session is for. Um Hopper is Grady's best friend seemingly yeah. uh divorced yes bobby, Un unsurprisingly yeah bobby grady is an ordinary middle-class electronic store owner who occasionally moonlights doing surveillance work and he's attended this session because uh, his wife amy has lost interest in sex and he fears their marriage is in trouble yeah it, it's a, because he doesn't reveal he just said well i'm just here to with hopper mm -hmm. hopper brought me along yeah. i'm just here for moral support um but seemingly he is there for himself yeah. along with Hopper. And that becomes more adamant throughout the film. Mm -hmm. um, a woman asks him, um, he, well, he, he, she, he denies being there for a reason. And she uh, says that uh, he should admit it. He's a lousy lay and his wife's just learned to uh, deal with it. <laughs> He responds that he uh, doesn't know whether to embrace his wife or him or embalm her sometimes. Um, so it's kind of like one of those, oh, yeah. <laughs> is this how people talk about each other? <laughs> it's uh, not even the most shocking dialogue of the film. No, no. We we then uh, we go from this meeting to uh, China Blue. Yeah, she's introduced dressed completely in blue. Uh, legs up and given a speech for being named Miss Liberty 1984 while someone eats her out. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she's in a blue dress, she's got a pageant sash and a platinum blonde wig. She's given a rousing speech as her legs are spread and a man has his head between them. She then undoes his jeans and rubs his crotch before seemingly giving him a blowy. Yes, we know this because of an animated insert of someone going down on someone with an over-exaggeratedly large penis. Yeah, <laughs> like, what the film does, and I quite like it actually, is when they can't be explicit. Because, you know, it's not porno. No. It's, you know, it, it's it's racy. Um, but when they can't show any of the, like, the real acts, they go to artwork. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting, and in it, it, later on, some of the artwork really brings up some of the themes of the film. Mm -hmm. This one is essentially we can't show you what she's doing, so we're going to show you a Victorian. Yeah. I think it's Victorian, a Victorian cartoon of a very large penis. Yeah. <laughs> um. She when she's giving her rousing speech, um, she references America a lot. She said, "For the great country of America." I will wear this sash with prize. Obviously, it's a Miss USA mm -hmm. um, kind of uh, take on, yeah. on the Miss USA. And I think a lot of the film is a take on American culture. Oh, definitely. Especially at that time. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it is definitely. It's not just a film about sex and someone going around murdering people. I think it is definitely a film with lots of social commentary. Uh, I mean, very much. Again, it's interesting. It's written by a gay guy because there seems to be a lot of stuff in here about the boring heteronormative lifestyle. Yeah. Which is interesting because it kind of makes you forget that he's actually once we get into the plot and the affair starts, he's actually going to another woman. But you know, it's very easy to think of China Blue as a drag queen rather than essentially, woman. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, um, but it's a different life. It's a different. She's almost like a different reality to everyone else. Yeah, the the whole film is based around what lies beneath the surface mm-hmm. and the kind of. Um, things that we create a persona and two halves of people's personalities. And I, I think, you know, the fact that she's Miss Liberty, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, the, you know, pinnacle of Americana, mm-hmm. you know, everyone associates the Statue of Liberty with America. And on the surface, she's Miss Liberty. Yeah. But when you look down... She's getting, you know, licked out. Yeah. Basically. Sorry to say it like that. <laughs> uh, two men have a wank whilst watching a nude woman at a very cheap looking peep show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's seen better days, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Reverend Peter Shane is also there, uh, but he's just watching and sniffing poppers. He is, which we now know to be real poppers. Yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just funny to think that China Blue's customer starts oversharing with her about his ex-wife and how China is the first person in a while to give him an erection just from looking at her. How romantic! <laughs> he says, uh, "My name's Carl, and I just split up with my wife." To which China Blue responds, "It's getting late." Um, she said, uh, "My ex beat it after he was done beating me," and he says, "Is that true?" She says, does it matter? So she tells a lot of lies. Mm -hmm. As China Blue, she tells a lot of lies. And she creates whatever character she thinks that the customer wants. Yeah. Um, She wants no emotional attachment at all. And it's the first of many times where the men in her life try to get to know her better. Mm Mm-hmm tried to get to know the real her when she always she just wants this facade yeah she's just you know she doesn't want emotional attachment mm-hmm. she doesn't want to know if Carl's divorced or not whatever happens you know you pay your money I put on a show for you I perform you get something out of it I get something out of it and that's it I don't I don't care that you're divorced mm-hmm. uh writer Barry Sandler stated uh, that he was tapping into what was going on around during the 80s. It was just at the beginning of the advent of the AIDS crisis. People had difficulties with their relationships. There was a lot of sex going on and it was very easily accessible and a lot of people were using it as a kind of an excuse or a defence or a rationale or some way to avoid intimacy and to avoid relationships. And I I think the character of China Blue, because I see them as two different characters, Mm -hmm. Joanna and China Blue. Yeah. I think the character of China Blue sort of emphasises that. Yeah. Definitely. 
Uh, Reverend Peter keeps uh, sniffing those poppers and then goes outside to preach about piss and shit when he uh, spots China walking down the street. And we get some in uh, ridiculously iconic dialogue. Mm. Uh, where he says, do you remember me, child? And she says, sorry, I never forget a face. Then she takes a drag on her cigarette and says, especially when I've sat on it. <laughs> and he says, save your soul, whore. And she says, save your money, shithead. Yeah. <laughs> iconic, iconic. Uh, Grady does some mundane work stuff after his therapy session with, uh, is it Hopper or Hooper? Hopper. Hopper. I've written that down differently every time I've written it. Um, yeah, he does some mundane work stuff after a session, and then China role plays with an older client, and uh, she she's role playing as a, a rape victim. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 strange, really, but also you know a, a sort of statement on men in their relationship with women. Oh, this whole film definitely has so much to say about the way women are treated by men. Yeah. It, it really does. I mean, especially with some of the image inserts later on, uh, that really, really makes sense. And we'll say it when we get to it. But yeah, no, it, it absolutely constantly has something to say about the treatment of women. And, you know, it's an important message to put in an unlikely film. Because... yeah. Realistically, 1984, a film about a sex worker, you, I, you'd expect it to be misogynistic. Yeah. You you definitely wouldn't expect it to be sex positive or sex worker positive. Um, but, I mean, I think it is. And I really think it does have a lot to say and it gets the messages across really well because, you know, looking into her past and how she got to this point and all these little things she keeps saying, whether they're true or not, you kind of assume she gets there because she's been treated like shit by men all her life and still you know when someone pays to pretend to sexually assault her that's fucking i mean it's terrible yeah yeah a bit it's it's a role play for her and, and yeah. what she's doing is um complying to what she thinks the client wants mm -hmm. and uh, he he seems to think that becoming a prostitute is her way of getting back at her old man and then she tells the story about how her father abused her as a child and the the client seems to be sympathetic but also kind of enjoying yeah the story and she we assume she's making it up because she seems to make up many stories do you that's the question because i Again, I tying it into the way women are treated, I, I thought it was a case of she was telling the truth, but it was her reaction by telling the truth that really said a lot about her character, how she wasn't bothered about it at all, how she was kind of used to it, and how she should have ex you know expected it. And I, I, I think because it, it the film doesn't tell us either way, mm. I think you could definitely look at it that way, that she lets out different truths. Yeah to please her clients, mm -hmm. to please her customers. And I think you could definitely look at it that way. Um, and uh, the, the client says about, about her father, how low can you get? And she says, as low as you can afford. Mm. And I think I think that's some very interesting dialogue yeah. there. And, and the scene itself, it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think it says a lot about the dynamics between men and women, but also men and sex workers. Yeah. Too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, love the lighting in this scene. Yeah. Love it. There's a flashing neon light from the street. It looks exactly like Suspiria. It's very, very Suspiria. Um, Especially with the pattern on the wallpaper as well. That kind of also gave Suspiria like, yeah. the end. Yeah, and it's very grimy, very seedy. It, it's what you expect from this kind of film. Yeah. You, you, you know. Um, Dick Bush, I think, is a fantastic Excuse cinematographer. <laughs> Dick, that's an interesting name. Yeah, his name's Dick Bush. He did uh, Victor Victoria, The Fan. Oh. Tommy Yanks. Um, yeah, I think it does a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. I love the way this film looks. Probably for this film, just hide for his name. But <laughs> Grady goes home to his wife Amy, and they discuss all their straight people problems involving the cost for their kids' braces. That's presented. That's preventing them from getting a hot tub. She wants him to sack a guy called Jerry, but he doesn't want to because he has a wife and kids, and he wants Amy to take a bath with him, but she's not up for it. Yeah, Grady keeps sexualizing the conversation and uh, jokes that Amy must be on her period. A joke that he seems to make often Mm -hmm. to Amy's annoyance. You know, she says, I'm fed up of you making that joke just because I'm annoyed by something, just because I'm feeling a certain kind Mm -hmm. of way doesn't mean I'm on my period. Maybe, you know, this is how I feel. We need more money in, in the household. You know, I need you to step up. Stop making over-sexualized jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's he. It's a weird one because um, he makes he's quite immature. Mm-hmm. He is, and we see it a lot throughout the film. Just because he's not as bad as Hopper, I think they're still in the same kind of class, and with the way they treat women, yeah, in in this kind of way, and. Uh, I think he learns his lesson by the end. Grady calls someone to accept a new night shift that was offered to him. And Amy isn't happy because Grady tells the kids jokes and she's the wicked witch who sends them to bed. So they sit together and watch the music video. This, this is quite a bizarre series of events. Watch the music video for Rick Wakefield and Maggie Bell's It's a, One, it's a Lovely Life together. Which involves a child screaming at a bird in a cage, followed by a married couple jumping into a swimming pool, the bird dying, and the couple turning into skeletons. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is reference to the bottoms of married life. Yeah. <laughs> really. Um, it's a lot like the, the random TV adverts in Tommy as well, mm-hmm. I thought. Very out there. Um, so rock musician Rick Wakeman performed the synthesizer heavy score. Yeah. The majority of which is made up of melodies directly lifted from the Czech uh, composer Antonin Dvorak. Uh, his Symphony Number no. 9, or as it was called, the New World Symp- Symphony. Um, I love Rick, Makeman's, uh, Rick Wakeman's score yeah. in this film. I also really liked his score for The Burning. Mm-hmm. He did the best. I don't think he did much else. Obviously, he was in Yes, mm-hmm. the band. I wasn't a huge, I'm not a huge prog rock fan. But I think it really works for film scores. It does. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um. In terms of Rick Wakeman, um, <laughs> lifting very, <laughs> a lot from uh, Symphony Number no. Nine from the New World Symphony. I, I've listened to both, and and yes, uh, he has pretty much copied a lot of the melodies. Um, it's somewhat of an in joke as the film was released by New World Cinema. Yeah. 
Uh, but I also think it's interesting that the New World Symphony itself was Dvorak's reaction to his time in America while he was director of the National Conservatory of Music of America mm. in the late 19th century. Dvorak was, like I said, Czech. And with Ken Russell and Rick Wakeman himself being English, I think it kind of fits with the outsider's perspective of America. Yeah. Um, also, interestingly, the New World Symphony... Um, Neil Armstrong took a copy of it with him during the moon landing. So it's very much embedded into American culture and mm -hmm. Americana. Yeah. So I, th I think it's a deliberate, obviously it's an in-joke, but I also think it's very deliberate as well with what, what the symphony is. Yeah. Which uh. makes sense with the um, Maggie Bell's uh, It's a Lovely Life, which is obviously directly lifted from the score itself mm. and that sort of melody that's going on throughout. Um, which feels like a very sarcastic song, of course. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Know, the music video is about bored, married life. Um, but also uh, with the fact that, you know, the state of America at the time as well, it also, as you said, with it being the New World Symphony and that sort of tie-in. It feels like the Yuppie song's culture. also directed at that yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the way Maggie Bell sings it, it's just fucking singing it and not trying to sound nice at all. It's just, yeah, it seems very deliberate and very, uh, it's very loud, isn't yeah. it? She, she's belting it. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it's deliberate though. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and as we know, this film does not try and be subtle at all. So no, no. Uh, Grady is soon approached by the owner of a fashion design house to spy on an employee, Joanna Crane who is suspected of selling clothing patterns to his competitors. Grady discovers the accusations are unfounded, but also learns that Joanna is China Blue. Yeah. Our old friend China Blue. Um, I ain't being funny, but Hannah Montana match? Uh, definitely, definitely. You know, li living a double life, brunette during the day. Yeah. Blonde wig. I mean, the wigs are very similar as well. Very, blonde wig at night. I, very ahead of its time. Obviously, Hannah Montana was in no way a prostitute. No, but... but you know, I think... She has got the best of both worlds. There's correlations there. Um, Joanna's boss is suspicious of her because, and I quote, if you have a penis, she turns to ice. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, come on. Do we do I need to say any more? No, no. His only suspicions are the fact that she's very good at her job. She takes her work very seriously, mm -hmm. but she's uh, not too into flirting with the men to try and get ahead. Yeah, yeah. He um, Grady follows her to her big nice house. Yeah, she's got a love big lovely house. You know, very very. Different to the yeah. CD, um, neon lit apartment where she uh, is a prostitute. Yeah. What's the word? What's no, the word? For... Yeah, that's yeah. Like a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This, it's, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, he follows her onto the streets where Reverend Peter offers to save her again and she takes him back to her apartment. Uh, he's then interrupted by a prostitute who says, Hey, baby, how about a shot of the Grand Canyon, huh? And <laughs> flashes her vagina at him. Yes. Yeah. Um, interesting, Grady at one point is reading The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Foles. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think it's it, it it's interesting because it's a novel about a woman disgraced by an illicit affair. Uh-huh. Um, so again, you know, Camerasil is not subtle. No. And doesn't need to be. I think it's great. I love it. Back in the seedy apartment, Reverend Peter says, I'm here to save you. And China Blue says, oh, why don't you fuck me? That'll save me. And uh, he says, not from your disease. And she's like, what disease? I'm healthy as a horse. I'm fit as a fiddle and ready for cock. <laughs> to which he replies, whores and metaphors don't mix. Who are you? And this comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea, who are you? Who Who is China Blue? The All the men want to know who she is. Yeah. Um, and Joanna as well. You know, the, her boss wants to know who she is. Grady wants to know who she is. All of her clients want to know who she is. The Reverend wants to know who she is. Like, mind your own fucking business. Yeah. You know, the, this idea that men just constantly want to know who women are. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you, you ain't getting it, bitch. No. Fuck off. Um, Reverend Peter continues to question her whilst Grady spies on them. He then begins to pray for her and she opens up his bag to find sex toys. Uh, he begins to go through them, gives her a bit of show and tell for each one. Yeah, including a beat me, eat me, licorice whip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and finally, she pulls out a big, sharp silver vibrator that he calls Superman. And sinister music starts playing. Yes. Um. Yeah. She and... wants to know if he wants to fuck a woman to death, and he tells her he would with the right woman. Yeah. So, obviously, Superman, mm-hmm. secret identity. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting what I find really interesting is that the reverend preaches from the bible but he himself uses the filthiest language yeah. He he's probably worse than anyone else yeah. in terms of the filth that comes out of his mouth mm-hmm. and out of his bag yeah you know and it's about the hypocrisy isn't it mm-hmm. of, of religion Um, she China actually asks the reverend who are you which is interesting and he says I'm you um, I think that's interesting because they're they are in fact both leading double lives. Yeah, the Reverend is he's not very good at it. No, <laughs> but he's you know on one hand the Reverend, and uh, he's this Bible spewing yeah. man, and on the other hand he's filthy mouthed, um, you know pervert mm-hmm. really. I think it's both. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, uh, Grady sneaks into her seedy apartment and finds a book with sex drawings in it, and then just goes home. And Reverend Peter follows uh, China home to her Joanna house and talks to God about her, which ends with him saying, "I'll cut off her little tits." Yeah. Uh, Grady decides to keep quiet about Joanna's double life. Yeah, because he's got a thing for her. It's love at first sight. She, she'll she be able to provide for him what his wife can't provide for him, which at that very moment is an active sex life. Um, it's also revealed that the culprit selling the patterns to competitors was a male worker with over 18 years service. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's interesting because Grady yeah. talks Joanna's boss into forgiving him Rather than sending him to jail. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, oh, he's got kids. Yeah. He's, you know, this, that, and the other. He's, if it was Joanna, they would have thrown the book at her. Yeah. You know, she's a single woman. 
without kids Mm -hmm. and it's a you know making excuses for Mm -hmm. the heteronormative lifestyle oh god yeah yeah um and again another double life slash secret exposed Mm -hmm. uh when men's double lives are exposed they're perverts Mm -hmm. and they're you know criminals yeah they're selling their bosses' secrets. Yeah. You know, their designs. So I think that's very interesting too. Grady visits China Blue at her apartment to have sex with her and she immediately takes a liking to him. Good day at the office for her. Yeah. She uh, she role plays as a ha- as an hairstylist uh, with an absolute sleigh gold dress on. She undresses him, gives his big toe a lick. I was and, not, not uh, a fan. Of not course a fan. not. Uh, and then we see the rest of the sex scene and their various positions in shadow form on China's wall with the neon lighting. Yeah, this is high camp. Yeah. It's also giving um, Suspiria. Yeah. When, uh, is it, Marcos was unveiled when it's behind mm-hmm. the curtain with the thing. Um, it's revealed that Grady was a quarterback in high school. Of course he was. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite... Uh, Line of dialogue from this scene is, although we may run out of Pan Am coffee, we never run out of T-W-A-T. It's also revealed that during the first shag, um, first shag, why did I write that down? It's true. It's true. Uh, The reverend's watching for a peephole. Of course. Uh, It's definitely, this is the first time we see any nudity from Kathleen Turner and from China Blue. And we do get the impression that she's really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, you know, making a client happy. Mm -hmm. She's getting pleasure from it too. Yeah. And Grady feels a connection straight away. Yeah. Yeah, they have a bicker about it after the finish. She's quite horrified at the fact that she quite enjoyed it. Uh, Grady ran for a shower as well, which she's also not happy about. Uh, he puts his jeans on without any underwear. I don't get why men do this in films. Like, this happens so often. It's true. Always oh, going commando. Um, she asks if he'd like to see her again, but he says he can't, so she asks him to leave. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a diff- it, It's. I mean, obviously it's a film, and it doesn't really happen. Re- you know, this is not true to life. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I'm glad it didn't quite go with the one good shag, and she's... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all she needed was well, you've good, seen the other men she's had show. for a job no wonder she was fucking I know, yeah. relieved but there's, there's an intimacy, intimacy to it what he wanted was sex yeah he didn't want her you know to necessarily dress up I mean she did because she's so used uh-huh. to it but he didn't need that he didn't need the fantasy mm-hmm. he needed intimacy yeah, which you know is very interesting, and it turns out that you know maybe she needed the intimacy too. Mm-hmm. Reverend Peter uh, walks into China Blue's apartment and tries paying her, but she's not interested. But she gives in after he keeps rambling on, and she dresses up as a nun and starts dancing around on her bed, singing "Onward, Christian Soldiers" at him. Uh, he grabs her leg, she pretends it hurts, and accuses him of not being a real reverend. And he reads her a poem he wrote about her. Yeah. Um... Not the weirdest thing Ken Russell's done with nuns no. in the film. <laughs> uh, China throws the Reverend out, and uh, 
Grady comes to her defence, but the Reverend hits him with his bag of sex toys. <laughs> um, Chinu, she's actually quite pleased at, yes. at this. She says, uh, I've never been fought over, only thought. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, yeah, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't do much fighting. It's nice to be, it's nice to be protected. <laughs> It's nice that people care, <laughs> even if it is a man with a a killer dildo in his uh, bag. Yeah, he goes from uh, he goes from an exciting night of protecting China Blue from uh, Reverend Peter to a boring straight people barbecue uh, with his wife and their straight friends, and they're listening to "It's a Lovely Life." The only, the only song that exists. The only song that exists in this film. Uh, China Blue's on the streets during the day, and a guy in a limo offers her two hundred dollars for a freeway, whilst a prostitute offers Reverend Peter to get to heaven early, uh, but he's not interested. No, this is during the day as well, which I found a bit weird. Um, yeah, you know, maybe her China Blue's seeping into the mm-hmm. day. You know. Yeah. Um. She accepts the offer of a threesome. They're a yuppie couple, aren't they? They're uh-huh. very much, you know, we're in a limousine. Um, she then refutes their offer when the wife suggests that her husband shouldn't lick China's ear as they don't know what kind of germs these people carry. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe for her, it hurts to hear a woman say yeah. such thing. You know, mm-hmm. she's used to that relationship with men. Mm-hmm. But to hear a woman say that, and to think that you know a woman wouldn't be on her side, mm-hmm. I think maybe that hurt. Yeah, because the idea is that she gets on at work as Joanna. She gets on incredibly well with the women. It's the men that she's very cold towards. Mm. Uh, whereas she's just had a woman very act very cold towards her. Yeah. Um, and they also, I mean, I feel like she's. She had had enough of the couple by that point as well. Anyway, as they're just spouting their racist bullshit and yeah, and their yuppie bullshit. And she's she's uh, the wife is too busy talking about uh, selling stock or mm-hmm. shit like that. Uh, Reverend Peter goes to the peep show again, and this time he kills the naked dancing girl by stabbing her as Superman. And we see this as him stabbing a blow up doll before we actually see her corpse on the floor. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very strange image because obviously the the blood sort of pouring out of this blow up doll, and it, it's quite ridiculous mm-hmm. to to watch. But also, I, I I think that it's his idea is that she is a sex doll. Yeah, you know he, she's just a toy. Yeah, really, there for for him to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the obnoxious barbecue. Um, Grady places a sausage in front of his crotch to great hilarity. Uh, he also does an impression of a penis, complete with a milky spit. Yeah. And uh, Amy is not a fan. He, he's got short shorts on, he puts a shower he cap is. on and attaches basketballs to his legs. And says, that I'm. Well, they say introducing the human penis. Yeah. Um, which, okay. <laughs> I don't get what makes him human. No. <laughs> Um, I want in, during this scene as well. I find it interesting that Amy defends 
the high school classmate who beat her for a head cheerleader mm-hmm. when her friends call her a slut. So they're reminiscing about... So they're all high school sweethearts and they all got married and they've all got nice houses and they have barbecues together. Um, but, you know, she kind of defends the girl who beat her yeah. for head cheerleader when they sort of sex shame her. Mm-hmm. You know, they use term slur. Um, I also find it interesting that Hopper and his ex-wife are there, and his wife, ex-wife, reminisces about uh, when he put a mirror under her skirt to catch yeah. a glimpse. And it's it's this kind of, you know, if somebody else did this, if they weren't bright white all American high school sweethearts, quarterbacks you know, cheerleaders, then if that was somebody, you know, like the Reverend, Mm -hmm. then we we would look at that differently. Yeah. She wouldn't be laughing it off. Mm -hmm. You know, and then, and ultimately what's the difference? It's disgusting either way. Yeah. Whether it's Hopper or the Reverend Mm -hmm. who's doing such a thing, what makes them any different? Yeah, I think it's really, no, no, really, it is, really it interesting. It yeah. Really interesting. Uh, Amy is is yeah, she's absolutely fuming about the human penis act. Uh, they have an argument before bed, and uh, she tells him she doesn't want the same thing from sex as he does because it's not important to her. Yeah, it. Uh, this is where Annie Potts really gives a great performance. This is her mm-hmm. sort of main scene. She does really well. They have a heart to heart in bed, um, and Amy does admit to Grady that. He hasn't necessarily satisfied her in bed as mm-hmm. much as she has let on. Yeah. So she's, she's lying to him, you know, and uh, really sex doesn't actually mean that much to her as it does to him. And he, as a man who seems obsessed with penis and uh, sexual, sexualizing and sexual jokes, this is devastating news to him. And he is devastated at the idea that she would be faking it. All this time, mm-hmm. but it, it was. I think it's also interesting of what she she associates with sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she is, you know, sad of her heteronormative lifestyle, the two kids that she's forced to look after, the struggling for money, whilst he's making dick jokes at barbecues, then maybe that's what she associates with it. Yeah, you know. And maybe that's why she's like, mm-hmm. no, thank you. I, do I want a third child? No, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's hard enough for the two of them. Grady visits China Blue at her Joanna house uh, before visiting his kid at school and confirming that he's moving out for a while. Um, Reverend Peter finds Joanna at work and tries talking to her about saving her whilst waving su- Superman around before she runs away. Yeah, so we're halfway into the film now, and this is the first time we've actually heard Joanna speak. Yeah, which is so it's it's about halfway. It's a little longer, yeah. but you know, let's say it's halfway into the film. Again, it's a film of two halves. We have China Blue's half, and we have Joanna's. Half. Yeah, and she, you know, obviously China Blue is still apparent mm-hmm. in the second half, but Joanna's creeping more into yeah. the forefront by the end of the film. Yeah, and. It's just a, a fucking absolutely ridiculous visual uh, seeing Anthony Perkins oh. run around with his fucking killer vibrator. Absolutely. It's, amazing. 
In a bizarre series of events, China Blue, in a scene that is infamous, the it's probably one of the most famous scenes from the film. Um, well, from this uh, uncut version anyway, because mm. this was cut for the uh, X rating back in the day. Uh, China Blue fucks a police officer tied to her bed whilst we get images uh, of police officers being violent with women. This is what I was referring to earlier on. Yes. Um, and this very much tells you what the film's trying to say. Reverend Peter has now set up a China Blue shrine, haven't we all? Yeah. Uh, next to his peephole. And he's watching and stroking his uh, Superman next door. Uh, I mean, actually, the killer dildo, not his cock. Uh, and whilst he's watching... And then China Blue starts fucking the cop's ass with his nightstick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst it's intercut with these uh, images of police being brutal with, with women. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, obviously not subtle whatsoever. No. It doesn't need to be at this point. No, no. Um, afterwards, he spits in her face. Mm-hmm. And upset, she washes her face in the sink. And then we get a shot of Sir John Everett Mills's painting of Ophelia as she's washing her face. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Hamlet, Ophelia, Ophelia is a victim of Hamlet's cruelty. Yeah. A cruelty, he suggests, comes from a hatred of all women. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one use of the term Ophelia complex or Ophelia syndrome was introduced by Mary Piper in her 1994 book, Reviving Ophelia. Mm -hmm. There she argued for a view of Shakespeare's character as a lacking inner direction and externally defined by men, and suggested that similar external pressures were currently faced by post-pubescent girls. The danger of the Ophelia syndrome was that of abandoning a rooted childhood self for an apparently more sophisticated but over-externalised facade self. Mm -hmm. So it's very deliberate, this painting and Ophelia. And, you know, obviously it's not subtle because it's like, bam, Ophelia. But what we know from Ophelia as a character actually says a lot about China Blue. Yeah. And how, why she's feeling like that. Because she's upset, you know. Mm -hmm. She had the power. She had the nightstick. Yeah. But realising that she only had that because he allowed her. Yeah. And afterwards, he treats her like shit. Yeah. And spits, spits mm-hmm. in her face. And he's taken that power back. Yeah. And Ophelia, as a character, was treated like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also interesting that Joanna, later on in the film, makes fun of Grady for still referring to himself as Bobby, despite being 30. Grady also acts quite immature at times, as I've said, and refers to himself as a Boy Scout on many occasions. Mm -hmm. Joanna seems to be fixated on being an adult, either through her strong work ethic and uh, her very sophisticated apartment, um, but also as a prostitute, Mm -hmm. you know, adult work, really. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Th- this sort of double life has come from, like Ophelia, being mistreated by men. And it doesn't go into great depths of her history, but like you said earlier, maybe that was a little snippet of her history. Yeah. And and why, how has she come to, you know, be leading this double life? Uh-huh. Uh, an old lady picks up China Blue and asks her to fuck her husband, who's dying with three months left to live. She wants her to make him feel like a man again. 
the session itself with the old man doesn't go ahead, but it does inspire her to reveal her first name and uh, compelling her to begin facing the truths about herself and her double life. This is a really interesting scene because obviously the whole film up until now is just over the top, in your face, constantly, you know, sex heavy and violent and just ridiculously camp and everything. And then you get this scene, which is actually really touching and, you know, quite serious compared to everything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time, apart from Grady, that we see her... Um kind of be truthful sexually mm -hmm. so it's not a fantasy it's not a power play it's you know it's true and it's real and the man's dying and she realizes that it's true and it's real mm -hmm. and she's not been leave living her truth yeah you know and that, that and it's a difficult one because Obviously, we're not judging, and, and I don't think the film judges her as a sex worker. No, no. But it, she's kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. She's dealing with, I think, past trauma yeah. by creating this double life. Mm -hmm. And it's not healthy for her because she needs to deal with those issues and live her life as Joanna because Joanna is a very successful woman. Mm -hmm. Joanna, you know, by the end of the film, spoiler alert, is able to find intimacy yeah. with a sexual partner, you know, rather than just um, a sexual encounter or a fantasy. It's intimacy. Yeah. Grady visits her at home, uh, her Joanna home, uh, to tell her he wants to leave his wife uh, for her, but she's uncomfortable by the suggestion of it at first. But eventually they have a very melodramatic sex scene. Very melodramatic. Whilst uh, Reverend Peter's outside praying again. Yes, and we get a near... Uh, <laughs> as the sex scene is... Uh, the silk sheets are blowing in the yes. wind. We get a glimpse of uh, Gustav Klimt's uh, The Kiss. Yeah. So very more, more romantic um, art piece for us there. A painting. Art piece? Art I did piece? I did History of Art at <laughs> uni. I'm calling it an art piece. A painting. Grady visits his wife at work and she wants to she wants him to give things another try and he says, Women, I give up. Uh she tells him how hard it is being alone in their big bed. Yeah. Um he's just just before that, China and Grady, they they have a conversation about fantasies. And uh China suggests that they both have their fantasies and it should stay that way. Mm -hmm. But Grady tells him that his fantasy is over. Yeah. So his fantasy was the happy life, mm -hmm. you know, with his wife and his kids and that American dream. That was his fantasy. Yeah. And that fantasy's over. Um, Amy cooks Grady dinner and makes a dick joke to try to please him. Yeah. And you can tell that she's uncomfortable making the joke. Uh -huh. now, the joke is something about a dictaphone. Yeah. He's like, no, use your fingers. Uh, <laughs> which is funny. But I'm immature. Um, but you, you can tell it pains her to make the joke. Mm -hmm. But she actually thinks, well, if I make... I heard this dick joke. If I make the dick joke, he might think that I've changed and come back. Mm -hmm. uh, she gives him his old football jersey as a gift and uh, tells him how much it used to turn her on when he wore it. To which she 
cries and walks out the room, realising that that Grady, that quarterback Grady, has gone now. And that life they had together as high school sweethearts Mm -hmm. has gone. Yeah. Because it was just a fantasy, really. The uh, high school... And and, and I know it happens, but high school sweethearts getting married, having a lovely life together and living until they're in their 80s. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a bit of it's a bit of a fantasy in itself. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds uh, also, you know, as portrayed in this film, it's it all sounds a little boring as well. Yeah, and it's heteronormative as well, isn't yeah. it? I mean, maybe maybe Amy, you know, liked a bit of the same sex stuff. Yeah. Reverend Peter visits Joanna's home and pushes her to the floor after saying last rites. Um, he pushes her around some more and ties her to a board and then gives her amazing performance of uh, Get Happy on uh, on piano. Oh, yeah, it demented. A demented rendition of Get Happy. Um, yeah, this is Anthony Perkins at his best. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh... I, I like the subtlety of Psycho, but mm-hmm. I, this is, you know, high camp. Yeah. Ridiculous. He begs her to kill him with Superman. It says, kill me, you worthless cunt. Yeah. I mean, filthy language. He's yeah. such a hypocrite. He pulls out a China blue dress and he says, China blue lives, strip bitch. Yeah. This is her double life coming back to bite her on the ass, mm-hmm. essentially. So I think he is important to the film. Yeah. I don't care what Gene Siskel said. <laughs> Grady goes to visit Joanna to tell her that he's left home. Uh, and he hears shouting from the apartment, so he breaks down the door and finds someone he assumes is Joanna, Karen in terror. But we've all seen Psycho, and we know where this is going. Yeah. It is actually Reverend Peter in full China Blue cosplay. <laughs> yeah, this is very unsubtle nod to Psycho. <laughs> but unlike Psycho, someone is also wearing Reverend Peter's clothes. Yes. Serving in a very giving me Victor Victoria, yeah, very much, yeah. absolutely serving. Joanna is in a in... way that he wasn't. I don't, yeah. I don't understand how the clothes look so different uh-huh. on her to him. Joanna is in full Reverend Peter cosplay. She leaps on the shadows, just like Anthony Perkins and Psycho, uh, and she stabs Reverend Peter with Superman before yes. he can attack Grady with a large pair of scissors, and Reverend Peter dies. Yeah, by you know the vibration that he created. Yeah, that he created himself. Uh, poetic justice, I think they call it. Uh, but yeah, it it really is a direct uh, take on psychosis, and yeah, yeah. Uh, usually, you know, if a film's gonna go in this direction with the same actor and its typecast, you know, it doesn't always work. But this really works, uh, really well. Yeah, it's a, it's a different take on it. I mean, like I said, there was a lot of subtlety. Yeah. To um. Uh, Norman Bates mm-hmm. up until the end, but um, obviously it it's one hundred from the get go. Yeah, it's off the walls, and it it's telling a different story. Mm-hmm. It's telling a story of religious hypocrisy. Yeah. That, that wasn't Norman Bates. No. It's a, it's a different story. It's a different character. No, and it doesn't even feel that problematic either. Um, you know, the fact that they both switch clothes, I think, kind of removes that element that people could argue is in Psycho. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no suggestion 
that uh, he was in any way a, a sort of cross-dresser no. or, you know, there's no suggestion of that. I think he was just so obsessed with China mm-hmm. Blue. I mean, we all are, you know. Yeah. That he, in many ways, wanted to sort of be closer to her. Yeah. And by wearing yeah. her uniform. Yeah. You know, it's a uniform, essentially. Uh-huh. And uh, with some poetic film making, we go back to where the film began, a group therapy session, and the film ends with Grady addressing them about leaving his wife and his new relationship with a woman named Joanna. Yeah, he says that I just never had the guts to admit the truth, that me and Amy just didn't love each other. There's no one to blame. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's, you know, I think it's interesting that he's the one to finish the film. Because we always... We thought it was China Blue's journey we were going on. China yeah. Blue and Joanna. But it's kind of his journey as well mm-hmm. that we've been through. And uh, he accepts the fact that, you know, him and Amy just didn't love each other and hadn't loved each other for a long time. And they, you know, the, the jig is up. Yeah. The, it's, you know, the, the facade is over. Uh-huh. The, dr- the fantasy is finished. Yeah. And now he can start with Joanna. Mm-hmm. You know, both of their fantasies are over. They can see how that goes. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't finish in like a wedding or anything. No. Could you imagine? <laughs> and that is Crimes of Passion. That is Crimes of Passion. Uh, yeah, I really think this film is so ahead of its time. And a really clever piece of filmmaking that could easily be mistaken as just being uh, a bit of... Uh, saucy erotic thriller just throw away you know it's it's so much more than that it's uh you know it's high camp it's amusing in certain places it's very serious in other places i just think it really does so much more than you don't expect from something like this yeah no absolutely i think kathleen turner is exceptional in the lead role i think she's fantastic Mm -hmm. I don't think the trailer does it justice because no. it kind of makes it sound like some erotic thriller, mm-hmm. almost like a basic instinct kind of yeah. film. It's not. It's so camp. It's yeah. so ridiculous. It's quirky. It's weird. It's kind of stupid at times, um, really, and how over the top it is. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of it satirizes by taking stuff to greater heights yeah um which i think it's it's my kind of film Mm -hmm. i I love films like that never dull never boring Mm -hmm. and really it's yes it's racy but it's i mean obviously we're how many years you know almost 40 years removed from its release i didn't think it was that shocking oh it is Apart... I, I think it is. Well, that one scene. That I was, mean, yeah. When I, no, no. I mean, when I first watched the whole thing, I thought it was really shocking. I'd, I'd never seen that sort of thing in a film before that point. You watched John Wars. Well, yeah. I suppose, that's yeah. True. No, I, I suppose. But I mean, to a general audience. Yeah, that know, is true. Is... I think the dialogue is probably shocking. Quite but obviously, shocking you know, well. we've watched the uncut version. Obviously, back then, it would have been a lot more censored. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Onto the awards. Yes. Biggest queen, of course. There's no competition, except maybe Superman. Uh, the biggest <laughs> queen is China Blue. It is definitely China Blue. Absolutely. Uh, biggest gasp, I've got nightstick penetration. Absolutely. There's no There's no doubt in my mind that was my biggest gasp. It's only a few years removed from cruising as well. Yeah. 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 I, I suppose that was kind of what was all going on back then. Great, great time for anal penetration, clearly. 
Yeah. Best dialogue. Uh, I... Actually, in fairness, sorry to interrupt, but we didn't really talk too much about how this could be an allegory for uh, homosexuality. No. You know, um, speaking of a good time for anal penetration. Um, yeah, I just, I just think, you know, it could be looked at. And I don't think I have to spell it out for anyone that, you know, China Blue could have been a, a male, a homosexual yeah. male that Grady finally finds love with, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I think keeps so. it keeps it hidden for so long. And then China Blue brings it out. Yeah. Best dialogue. There's plenty of competition for this, uh, but I've gone with the classic. Sorry, I never forget a face, especially when I've sat on it. I went with, uh, I'm as healthy as a horse, I'm as fit as a fiddle, I'm ready for cock. And that's camp. I've just, again, you know, there's so many options. So I've just gone with China Blue's wig and all of her outfits. Yeah, China Blue is high camp. Anthony Perkins' performance is high camp. The whole thing is camp. Yeah. Really, very camp. Yeah, so what's your final rating? That's camp. Oh, all of it. All of it. Okay. The whole thing. The okay. whole thing. It's our podcast. Yes. I'm saying the whole thing. Uh, ratings. I've gone with the obvious. I wonder if you've gone with the obvious. 10 killer vibrators out of 10. Uh, no, I didn't. No, I went with 10 sniffs of poppers out of 10. Uh, masterpiece, trash piece, trash or basic. A week after I was complaining that we're probably going to go back to talking about trash again. This is a masterpiece. It is. It is a masterpiece. Um... But also kind of trash, <laughs> but deliberate, yeah. <laughs> deliberate trash. But yeah, of course, it's a masterpiece. I, I, I really just think it, there's so many levels to it. It's so entertaining. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I could watch it many times over. And if you'd like to listen to it for yourself, but listen to it for listen yourself, to it. if you'd like to watch it yourself, it's available on Blu-ray, Arrow Player, Movie, and Video on Demand. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Body Double. Yes, released the same day. Uh, fucking love Body Double. Uh, if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Whore, which is another film from Ken Russell about prostitution. Mm -hmm. uh, this time with a grittier, more realistic tone, but yeah. still has a, a great sense of camp. Yeah. And I think he's probably one of his most underrated films. And if you're a fan of Crimes of Passion, let us know on social media. We're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And uh, give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like a follow on everything else. Submissions for Gasp Horror Festival, our festival we're putting on, is now, are now closed. So now we're just going to keep an eye out for the lineup. Yes. And you can do this. will be released. Yeah. On the 17th of February. 17th of February. Mm, just and, after Valentine's yeah. Day. And you can keep an eye out for this uh, on social media at Gasp Horror Fest. On everything. Yes. Yes. We will... Speaking of Valentine's speaking Day. Speaking of Valentine's, yeah. Next week, we've got our second Valentine's special. Yeah. And it is Basic Instinct 2. Hey. That it is. That it is. <laughs> we've already had one request to be kind about it. Have we? Yeah. Because oh, apparently man. it's great. Um, believe that when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Could be. But you you can find out yourself if if it's indeed. I've not seen it. If it's indeed a masterpiece or a trashterpiece, same time, same place next week. Bye. <laughs>